Tonight, another cold case from the Metro Police Homicide File. It's a murder from 1973. The longer a case goes cold, the harder it is to solve. Maybe if it was solved, if they could find out who did it, um, it would help. We're hoping that someone saw something, knows something, remembers something that might help us finally find justice for. Tina Marie Davison was born April 1st, 1957. She grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, a small town 30 miles south of the city of Milwaukee on the shores of Lake Michigan. In 1973, she was less than a week away from her 16th birthday, a birthday every teenager looks forward to. Sadly, a birthday she would never get to celebrate. She was a small, slender girl with long, straight brown hair and a quiet demeanor. One of Tina's former counselors in junior high school said, quote, There was nothing tough about her. She would appear at my door very quietly, almost fearful. There was nothing brash about her. She was just a lovely, defenseless girl who wouldn't even begin to know how to defend herself. That's the way some of her friends also felt about Tina. One girl was quoted as saying, She was so innocent, so sweet. She was just a very sweet kid. Tina attended Washington Academy. The academy was an alternative school. Not every student can cope with a full day of school. Some can't take that kind of regimentation. The academy is a special school for students who have disciplinary problems. The principal, George Curlin, said that Tina wasn't an aggressive-type discipline problem student. Quote, She just had an attendance problem. He added, however, that she had been attending school regularly and that her teachers had noticed an improvement during the last few weeks. Curlin described her as very lonely she had made some girlfriends, he said, but very few, and only recently. He said Tina was typical of most of the students who go there. He was quoted as saying, At first they're shy, but they soon learn that there's no pressure on them. If they attend class 80% of the time and do their work, they get credit for their classes. After a while, you see them begin to smile more often. That might not sound like much to some people, but for some kids, that's a lot. On March 26, 1973, Tina was at her house on 20th Street with her on-again, off-again boyfriend. Around 7 or 7.30, her boyfriend left and Tina emerged from her room with a duffel bag full of clothing. She told her mother, Kathleen, that she's going to go to her friend's house a few blocks away and return the bag of clothes. She left wearing a leather jacket, a dark sweater, a white blouse, brown baggy pants, and construction boots. It was only 36 degrees out that night. There had not been a great amount of snowfall so far that winter, 
less than two inches total actually. But in a few weeks, the city would be hit with 14 inches of snow. Around 8.30 or 9, Tina left her friend's house at the 1500 block of Quincy Avenue. She told her three friends there that she was going to hitchhike over to Washington Avenue and spend the night at another friend's house. At roughly 9.30, someone saw Tina at an ice cream shop on Durand Avenue a couple miles away. This would be the last time anyone would see her alive. Tina would often hitchhike and sleep over at different friends' houses. Her mother had no reason to worry that night when Tina wouldn't return home. The next morning, March 27, 1973, at around 10.30 in the morning, a 44-year-old woman was walking her grandson along the rocky shores of Lake Michigan. There, she spotted what she thought was a mannequin. She thought it was a prank. Maybe some kids put it there to scare someone. As she got closer, she realized it was no prank and it was no mannequin. It was a nude, lifeless body of Tina. In a frantic, she found a passing police officer and flagged him down. When the police officer investigated, he realized there was no reason to check for vital signs. Tina was deceased. A few hours later, at 4 p.m., police contacted Kathleen and broke the devastating news. The coroner reported that Tina was first struck on the head with a blunt instrument causing unconsciousness. They could tell this due to the hemorrhaging of one of her eyes. She was then stabbed 61 times in the neck, throat, and chest. Overkill is an understatement. The cause of death was determined as hemorrhaging caused by a stab wound to the heart. Police don't believe that she was murdered on the beach, but rather her body was dragged there after death and discarded. She was laid to rest on Friday, March 30th of 1973. Her classmates had planned to go to Tina's funeral, but learned Friday morning that the services were to be for the family only. The students took it upon themselves to collect money and send a spray of flowers. They collected almost $60 in one afternoon. Principal Curlin said, quote, A lot of kids went over to the funeral home Thursday. I think it would have pleased Tina to see that so many people cared about her and considered her a friend. I would question if she would have known they felt that way while she was here. This is a Searching for Closure podcast, an ongoing real-time investigation dedicated to not only trying to solve the murder of Tina Davison, but also celebrating her life, which was tragically cut short. She was a victim of a heinous, senseless, and brutal crime and no victim should be forgotten about. If you knew Tina or have any tips or clues regarding her unsolved murder, please contact me. You can email me at info at searchingforclosure.com or participate in our Facebook group. Just search Facebook for Searching for Closure, the Tina Davison Cold Case Podcast. Every time I post a new episode, 
I will also be posting a new blog entry with notes, pictures, and videos. You can find all that at www.searchingforclosure.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and spread the word. Tina's case has remained unsolved for 45 years, and she deserves closure. This case deserves closure. Until next time, thank you for listening.